so if you prepare your hearts for the word of God. Lord. Colossians 2.18. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you went also in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human percepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that you will just continue to reveal yourself to us today. In Jesus' name. You could be seated. You could be seated. Thank you for that reading. Tang, are we good? That was skipping out. We're good on that? Yeah, okay, awesome. Well, good morning, family, those online and hanging with us. Um, I am, uh, man, that, that was a lot of scripture, Crystal. It was a lot of scripture. Everyone around? Alex's? Can I use Alex's? Check, check, check. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Um, there's a lot of scripture that we read through, and we're going to work through it this morning in a, um, a more simple way. You're probably, if you didn't read before, maybe it's your first time reading through that chapter, you're reading like, what in the world is Paul talking about? That, that's a lot going on, a lot of interesting words. Um, but this morning, I want to, uh, I think this morning's message, I believe, it has encouraged my soul, and I wanted to um, put it before you to encourage you uh, on the basic and beautiful and scandalous grace of Jesus this morning. The basic and beautiful and scandalous grace of Jesus this morning. And I want to start out with a question. It's kind of a random question. But if you were thinking through your normal day, you personally, don't think about your neighbor or your wife or your spouse or your, your, your coworker or your roommate, just you, yourself. What would you say is the greatest temptation you face every day? 
Just think through it. List it off. Don't think about someone else like, yeah, I know they're tempted to do this. Your temptation. What would be your greatest temptation that you think you uh, face every day walking out in this broken world? I'd imagine that some of us would probably say things like apathy, pride, gluttony, lust, anger, selfishness, like the the big things, right? Like stealing, whatever. I I don't don't know what it is for you, but maybe one of these are popping up in your head. Like, yeah, I'm I'm prone just to be lazy. I'm prone to, um, to look at things I shouldn't be looking at. I'm prone to overindulge, whether it's food or pleasure or entertainment. I'm prone to be selfish or angry at people, maybe hateful towards people, divisive, deceitful. Those are all real temptations. Nothing on here is is like lightweight. Those are real temptations that you and I, when we walk into this world every day, wake up and walk into wherever you're walking into, you're going to uh, face. But I would say, take this with a grain of salt, but I would say your greatest, my greatest temptation is not that we would indulge in some kind of sin, even though that is very great, but that we would supplement our faith in Jesus. Your greatest temptation tomorrow, today, is not that you would just go and, and, and go sin blatantly. That is a very large, looming temptation. I would say this is an even more concerning temptation, that you would supplement your faith in Jesus. Why is that? Why is that so scary? Why is that a temptation? Why is that, why is that more important, more dangerous than, than sin? One, I think it's, it's something that is so dangerous because it is overlooked. I'm sure none of us inside here were thinking that doing something like this, supplementing our faith in Jesus would be a temptation. It would be this, the normal things. Don't do evil stuff. Don't do things that are mean to people. That would be the temptation. I want you to look at this definition of what, of what supplement means and put it in the context back into that statement. The word supplement basically means something that completes or enhances something else when added to it. Supplement, like a vitamin. Supplement. You take vitamin supplements because they're adding to, enhancing something that you're lacking in your body. You have a lack, so you take a supplement to help with that. Something that completes or enhances something else when added to that and this morning I want to I want to frame today's message and all that crystal red, all that passage is saying one big thing that there is a danger in trying to complete or enhance what Jesus has already done for you. There is a danger, your greatest temptation today is that you would try to complete or enhance what Jesus has already completed. Does that make sense? What Jesus has already completed something that completes or enhances and all that Paul talks about this is like this letter in the in the in the part that we're in in Colossians this one chapter is the crux of what Paul is trying to say like the thing that he is writing to the church in Colossae is to get this point across watch out for this danger watch out for supplementing your faith in Jesus supplementing the gospel. So here's the outline that we're going to work through, and we're going to fit all of those verses kind of into three different sections. That's a cute picture, but it's definitely not the outline. Um, all right. Three threats. Uh, there's three things that Paul talks about in here. 
with the framework of supplementing, trying to bring in something because there's something lacking in Jesus, three threats that he brings up, one antidote that he, he repeats over and over again, and then we'll land simply at what it means for us. Three threats, one antidote, and what it means for us. And I think this is so important today because this wasn't just written to folks 2,000 years ago, so we can read it as a historical document and say, wow, that's, like, that's really important, that's really special for them. I want you to know whether you believe in this or not today, like online, in person, that this was written not just for them, but for you today to receive because it's life-giving and relevant. I would say it's the most relevant thing you can put your eyes in front of. This is God's word, live and active. That means that the relevancy is that it has something to say to your life right now, not just back then. Your life right now. So we're talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it is so piercing for what we work through in this postmodern, 21st century, Bay Area, you'd say liberal area, whatever you are. Whether in the Midwest, New York, North, East, Southwest, this is a temptation that we as Christians might overlook and that Paul brings through. So three Threats. We're going to work through these simply explaining what it looks like for the church to be up against these. They are threats. I say threats for a reason because they are threatening the pure faith that the church had in Jesus. And Paul is so concerned about that that he writes that. He doesn't just think that's a small problem. He writes this letter because of this one area. And today there are a lot of threats that line up with this. So let's start in verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. I have a different translation on the screen if you're not following along in the Bible. Threat number one. Paul starts to talk to the the church in Colossae, and he's wanting them to be aware of something. He says, be careful not to allow anyone to capture you. Interesting word. Capture you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Be careful to not let anyone capture you. The ESV says, see to it that no one takes you captive by empty philosophy. Captive by empty philosophy. Paul's not saying that philosophy in itself is bad. Philosophy is just two words, the love of wisdom or knowledge. That's a great thing. And what we're not saying, what Paul's not saying, that there's not good information out there, not good knowledge out there, uh, not truth, uh, not good truth out there. Paul's not saying that Jesus holds the only claim of truth and there's no truth outside of Jesus. There is certainly truth outside of Jesus because this is his world. This is his world. There's truth in, in laws of nature. There's truth in ways of thinking because they all come from him. What Paul is warning is not against just thinking deeply about something. He's saying, I'm warning you against a certain kind of thinking. And this is why I think this is the greatest temptation, this kind of stuff. Because it's so subtle, it's so normal, it's so pervasive, it's so in our faces that we would overlook it as something that's not as harmful. What does it mean, empty and deceitful? This word empty and deceitful, it has the idea that it promotes and promises something on the outside, but is hollow and empty on the inside. Paul says, I want you to beware of this thinking that looks good on the outside, but is vain and fruitless on the inside. And not just vain and fruitless, but deceptive. What does deceptive mean? It means that it is a false 
statement. It is a lie. Paul says, I want you to be against, I want you to be heightened, heightenedly aware of not just good information and knowledge, but the things that would lead you away from believing the truth in Jesus. And he says it's dangerous, not because it's just false, but because it says his origins are in man. It's according to human tradition. What does that mean? That word tradition is like what's passed down, how we pass things down, information and philosophies and thoughts and ways of seeing life. And what Paul says is this, this dangerous thinking is not just dangerous because it's deceitful. It's dangerous because it finds its origins in man, not God. That man thought it was a good idea to think this way about life. And so it's a filter by which they operate. And Paul says, don't subscribe to that kind of thinking. It's hollow. It's deceptive. It's fruitless. Its origins are in man. And then he throws out his word. It's interesting. It's probably confusing for a lot of us. He says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. I don't have time to unpack all what that means, but you got to know that in Paul's writing and in the scriptural narrative, you need to know this, that we live in a spiritual world. Yes or yes? Spiritual world. You can pinch yourself as flesh, but the spiritual world is greater than in the flesh. It's live and active. It's real, things you cannot see, and there are good and there is evil. And the evil forces are underneath a lot of the thoughts and powers and kingdoms of this age, Paul says. That writing traces, that thought, traces all the way back to the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament. That was a common assumption that there are evil demonic activity, there is evil demonic activity underneath a lot of the kingdoms and the powers and the thoughts of this day. And so what Paul is saying is, I don't want you just to fall into this trap of deceptive teaching, but it is influenced by demonic activity that is wanting you to be led away from the truth of God. We would just say, oh, come on, Chris, it's just a different philosophy. It's just a way of thinking. No, 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 no. That's exactly what the enemy would want you to think. It's just a little thought. It's harmless. And then you subscribe to that, like Paul was saying, be careful, because when you subscribe to it, you're lied to, you're led away from the truth. It's not enough just to explain that. Maybe a couple of different ways of thinking of thoughts in this day and age. It's three of them. The last one, excuse me, I had to make up a word, but... Humanism, relativism, and Disneyism. Humanism, you might not subscribe to humanism because you're a Christian. Hopefully you don't. That's a, that's a bad thing. But, but the, the literal website for humanism, there's a website. If you didn't know, there's a humanism website. And the, the foundation for humanism, literally their tagline is good without God. Good without God. Now, I know you are brilliant, spirit-filled people, so you're like, I, I know that I need God. But here's where it gets tricky, is that you start believing that even though you know you need God, you start supplementing things and saying, I can do a lot of good without God. Why, why would you start doing that? Why do you start ever acting like you can do good without God? Because it's the, it's the ocean you swim in. We live in a humanistic society where the level, the layer and lens of where we look through life is that I have everything I need to fulfill my life, to accomplish. I set my own morals. I'm able to do and accomplish everything I need in me. I don't need exterior help. I don't need external assistance. I don't need God. No one would ever say that, but we live in a, in a flint. That is something that is coming up against you every day in certain ways. How are you trying to live apart from God on your own strength? Not just humanism, but relativism is the belief, is the philosophy, the idea that everything is true. Your truth is true. Your truth is true. My truth is true. And if it's my truth, it's my truth. 
And I'm, let me tell you how, pers- how pervasive this is because we can, no one can even stand up and say this is truth anymore because they are labeled, what, intolerant. The moment someone lands on a point of truth and says this is truth and there's exclusivity to this truth, we are labeled intolerant. We are labeled uh, small-minded. Anyone is. We live in a world where it's so much more comfortable to say what's, what you believe is true and what I believe in true. Even though if you got down to brass tacks, they could be contradicting each other. Relativism is a, a, a foundational contradiction because if you say something that's true, Kevin, and I say something that's true, and they both contradict, logically, there has to be probably only one that's true. Both can't be true. But the world operates in a sense where you can believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and that is a dangerous place. And maybe that's what has stopped some of us from sharing the gospel. I've heard Christians say, I don't want to share the gospel because they believe in, in Allah or Buddha, whatever, whatever it is, and that's just their belief and they're right in that. That's fine to respect other people's beliefs, but you have to know there is truth and there is such thing as deceptive lies. You know that? There's truth and there's lies. And so it's okay to say this is truth. You have to stand on the truth. There's no way to stand on it if, unless you just say it's all true and you wash it out. And the world wants you to say, it's not yours true, that's cool, but don't push it on anyone else. Lastly, and I don't know if you watch a lot of Disney movies. Um, you probably have growing up. But this is so subtle. The Disneyism of the day, the thinking, every single movie I ever watched from Pixar and Disney, especially this latest one coming out, um, the idea is to follow your heart and do you. The empty, deceptive philosophy. It's so subtle. Just follow your heart. Do you know what's in your heart? I don't want to follow my heart. I don't want to, my heart leads me into bad places. Follow your heart. Your heart leads you to rebel against people. Your heart leads you into darkness. Is there good in your heart? Yes. But the idea that you can be yourself, you can follow your heart, you can do you, and it doesn't matter what people say, just do your own thing, live your own life is such a pervasive philosophy. And I know you might laugh at these as like whatever, but these are the oceans that we are swimming in when it comes to thinking that you have to be aware of or you will start believing. Threat number two. He goes on to say, so don't let anyone... Don't let anyone, verse 16, condemn you for what you eat or drink. First threat, don't, start, don't believe this false philosophy. Number two, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or noon moon, new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. You have to understand that in that day and age, in that time, in that place, there was not just Christians, people who followed Jesus, but Judaism was a big thing. That was the Jewish religion, the Jewish practices, ordinances. And there were people still around that were uh, uh, following the law, practicing Judaism, and enforcing Judaism on the churches, saying, no, no, Jesus hasn't come. You need to do Jesus plus X, Y, and Z. You need to have Jesus, and you need to follow the laws, and you need to make sure you don't eat or drink certain foods, right? We remember that in Acts where Peter's like, I can't hang out with Gentiles and I can't eat this kind of meat. And God's like, do I need to drop a blanket full of pigs so you can understand that the food is clean? The dude, God drops a blanket full of meat, hello, so that Peter can understand I've made it clean. I've made it clean so you can eat. Stop trying to figure out what not to eat, what not to touch, what certain days are holy, what certain things you have to, ceremonies you have to go through, and I know you're probably thinking, but we don't have to deal with not eating or drinking. We don't have to deal with, with ceremonies and, and holy days. 
They do. But this is what was happening. They were, outsiders, were looking in on the Colossae church. And they were being judged as not right with God because they were not keeping the law. They were not doing what they thought a person of faith would do. They were being judged. He said, don't let anyone condemn you or judge you. They were being judged because they were not keeping according to the law. The religious legalism that these Judaists put on the church, hey, you're not obeying all the ordinances. And you might think, well, I don't have these things. Yes, you do. Yours, ours is church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, certain prayer nights, gatherings, things that we do in our religious ecosystem that you would see those as necessary to get right with God. But your church attendance Your Bible reading, your prayer time, the money you give to the poor, it does nothing, it does nothing to make you right with God. It does nothing to put you in a right standing with God. You can read your Bible all week, all day, and what the Bible, what Paul is telling you, what Paul is telling us, look, don't let people judge you and condemn you. Do we need to discern what people are going through and make judgments? Yes. But he's saying, don't let someone condemn you like you're not saved for not doing certain things. Why? Because Paul would say later on, those things never saved a person. And these outside forces were trying to get the church in Colossae to say, hey, you're not really following Jesus. You're not really saved. You don't have salvation if you're not going through this legalistic flow of following and checking off all the boxes, oh my gosh, are we in the same area today? Where we might not put that on you as a church, we're pretty free-flowing, but you might put that on yourself. Maybe this morning you have pressure because you haven't came to church all month, or you haven't given money, or you haven't helped, or you haven't opened your home, or you haven't cracked open your Bible, or you haven't prayed. Let me tell you, you need to do those things. Are they good? Yes, they're good. Do they save you? No, they do not. They do not save you. They do not make God love you more. They do not add, take away your sin. There's a lot of benefits to all those things. And every Christian should be doing those things because they're the way that we relate to God. But those are things that happen after God saves us apart from those works. And Paul's saying, I want you to be aware. I don't want people to condemn you for trying to check off boxes and filling these things out because you're not doing them correctly. Threat number three. First threat is this empty philosophy. Second threat is this religious legalism, checking off the law and following it to be right with God. And then chapter 2, verse 20, he says this. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Catch what he says next. These rules may seem wise, may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, like fasting. And I'm going so hard because I'm working and I'm, I'm, I'm whooping my body into shape. That's what these people were doing. They were abstaining from things and treating their body harshly. But he says this, but they provide no help in conquering a person's sinful desires. Oh, so, so beautiful. So piercing, but beautiful. 
He's saying, that's great, all these don't taste, don't touch, don't do, these rules. But he's saying, you died with Christ. So why are you underneath these rules now? Why are you trying to do this? What was happening in this? What was happening as the threat? They were trying to attain holiness by what they didn't do. They were trying to curb their sinful desires and change something inside of them by what they didn't do on the outside. They were trying to take an external action and make that produce change internally. And what Paul is saying is that rules and prohibitions, don't taste this, don't don't do that, self-denial, that spring from our own religious creativity are utterly ineffective in curbing the desires of the flesh. I don't know if you something comes to mind when you think about it. Maybe for you, you're like, I, I just struggle with eating a lot and gluttony, and so I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna like eat. The, I'm not gonna go to this kind of restaurant. That's fine. But then you go to a different restaurant, or you don't eat out anymore. But then what happens when you start eating at home? You save some money, but you're still gonna eat probably as much food. Why? Because the abs- abstinence from that act probably didn't change anything inside you. Or maybe something even more simple. People who who are looking. At, at images online, pornography or lust, and, and I've been through this. Growing up, I thought, hey, put a block on the computer. Put something on there. Don't watch certain shows. Don't watch HBO. Don't watch this kind of stuff. And what happens when you put a block on the computer? You don't see the things that, that you don't want to see. But what happens to your heart? Nothing. It finds another way. Just like you will find another way to get that food, you will find another way to look at that image, you will find another way to do whatever sin you were looking at. Why? Because the abstinence was never able to change the heart. The block, the rule, the step, that is what Paul is saying. These things look religious, look fancy, but we all know they don't do anything to change and make us practically holy inside. Make us more like Jesus. I just wonder, like, how, 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 because this is not just for them, it's for us. How much have we struggled with thinking, if I just don't do this, don't go here, don't say this, get off this app, don't talk to this person, don't look at this, don't whatever, that we're going to change and be more like Jesus. Is that necessary? Do we have to get rid of things? Yes and yes. But we don't, Paul says, put our hope on that being the thing that's going to change us. Does that make sense? We don't lean on that. Is it a necessary step that must, that probably has to happen in your life for sanctification? Whatever sin it is, everyone has one. Yes, but it's not the thing that's going to renew your heart to actually want to do good. What are the threats that Paul talks about? Worldly teaching that would lead us away from faith in truth in Jesus. Religious legalism that would say you have to follow a certain set of ways of acting and ceremonies and days so that you can be right with God and then rule keeping to change your heart. These things are so prevalent to us today. You just have to slow down and have eyes to see how are these things threatening my faith today. It's not just the blatant sin out there. It's a deceptive lie that says, I need to do, I need to have more teaching outside of Jesus. I need to follow the religious law to be saved. I need to add rules. There's some good in all these things. But not when you add them saying that because Jesus is lacking, I need to add these things. That's where it gets 
dangerous. And I find it so fascinating and beautiful and simple that Paul, as he writes this, when he talks about the antidote, when he says, here's what to do, I'm not just warning you what to be aware of, I'm going to tell you how to fight this. He leads the church to see every threat, every threat in light of the person and work of Jesus. Every threat that Paul warns against, the temptation is going to come to pull you away. He says, I want you to look at Jesus so that you wouldn't be tempted to be drawn away from him. So let's just go through that. It's one antidote, but I want to connect every threat that Paul names, this teaching, the legalism, the rule keeping. And I want you to see how Paul connects that to Jesus and how Jesus is sufficient so you don't need those things. And I just want to say this before we go into this. I'm aware most of us hearing this, maybe you're hearing this later on, we believe in Jesus or you have some reference point to the gospel. And I would just say that you would, hopefully you would, but the eyes of faith and fresh awareness receive this like it's the first time you're hearing it. Because the danger is as I start talking about these things, there's a, famili- a familiarity that will rise up that would block out the awe of this. I've heard this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Don't have that. As much as you can, muster up the eyes of faith that says, I want to receive this fresh because there's something for us today. What's the antidote Paul says? To threat number one, the worldly teaching, Colossians 2. He says it right after. It's beautiful because Paul usually throws a threat out there, a warning, and then says, hey, but this is what Jesus has done. He connects it always. He says, see that no one takes you captive by empty philosophy. Then he goes on to say this, the next verse, verse 10. For, because... He's connecting it. It's so important. If you ever see because or but or for, you need to underline that and always look above. Because that is a connection to what is happening. He's giving you a reason and something to think about that connects that thought. Don't do this. Why? For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and in him. Can you read that with me, these words? You have been made what? Complete. You have been made complete who is the head of all rule and authority. Don't let anyone take you captive by empty philosophy. Why? He says, because you have been made complete in Jesus. What is Paul saying? That in Jesus, God's fullness, his deity, all of God dwells in Jesus. Remember, Jesus is not another God. He's not lesser or like God. He is God wrapped up in skin and bones, 100%. 100% full God. And just as Jesus is fully God, you are full in Jesus. You are complete in him. And when you are complete, you do not lack anything. When you're complete, you don't need. The completion is this idea that you have everything you need in that space. In Christ, you are complete. But Chris, I don't feel complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not like a, this is what you're always going to feel. This is a, you have all the resources available to you complete. Does that make sense? You might not always feel complete. I don't always feel complete, but I know where to go to where I lack. And when I lack, I know where to go to get the resources. They're in Christ. Everything I need, every resource you need for spiritual life is in Christ. In fact, Second Peter, I think, Chapter 1, verse 3 says that by God's divine power, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. 
by God's divine power, he has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything you need for life and godliness. We're not saying everything you need just to be spiritual. Everything you need to relate to people. Everything you need for your emotions. Everything you need for your physical health. Everything is found in Jesus. He's not just trying to make you complete spiritually, but as a whole person. You have no need to go outside of Christ. So when he says, don't let anyone take you captive by empty philosophy, what he's saying is you don't need to go somewhere else to find truth. Why? Because you're complete in Jesus. All the truth you need is in Jesus. Is it good to learn other things? Yes. But he says not when it's not according to Christ. Why? Because every truth you need to function and flourish is found in Jesus. He's the full revelation of God. And earlier on in this chapter, he says, in Jesus is hidden all the, wi- all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Just answer that for yourself. Do you functionally, not theoretically, functionally believe that every wi- everything of wisdom and knowledge, everything you need to know about life and godliness is found in Jesus? Or do you already see a lack in Jesus, so you're trying to go everywhere else? Magazines and books and newspapers and colleges and and TED Talks and Jordan Peterson and all these people that have great things to say. And some of their stuff is truthful. But are you going there thinking that you have to go there because you're lacking? Or are you just going there because you're interested? Big difference. And that you want to learn. You want to learn? Great, that's fine. But I'm not going to learn because Jesus can't teach me what I need to know. I'm going to learn because I just want to learn. But I've already said in my heart, everything I need to grow up, to love people, to be mature, to be a fully functioning and flourishing human is found in Christ. And I wonder if maybe our experience of thinking, I feel like I lack something in Jesus, is not because Jesus has a problem, but because we keep on meddling with trying to add something to him. And so we never get the full Jesus. Why? Not because he doesn't want to give it to us, but because we're mixing and matching. And I want you to experience the full Jesus and all his glory and his sufficiency. And that is something that takes you looking straight at him and saying, I'm complete in him. Threat two, the religious legalism. Look what he says in verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Remember, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. All these religious festivals and holidays. What does he say? Next verse, for because these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. The whole old covenant, truthful as it is, helpful as it may be, uh, God's word as it stands, is only a shadow compared to the substance of Jesus. That means it was a foreshadow. It was supposed to bring you to look at Jesus, it wasn't able, it wasn't supposed to stop there. If you think about a shadow, like a light reflecting through a substance, like my shadow over here, the shadow vaguely reflects the substance. It is not the substance. It is not the reality. It's not perfectly resembling it, but it vaguely reflects the substance. And the law and all the ordinances were there to be helpful, but not to be an end all. Because the law was designed to point to life, the law can never give you life. The ordinances, the traditions were designed to point to the way of Jesus coming. It was never meant to substitute Jesus' coming. The plan was always to give you the law so that you would understand your sin and God's righteousness. So when Jesus came, he would fulfill the law. It was always meant to be a setup. Is God's law right and just and true? Yes. 
but you were never able to fulfill it all and get righteous from it. Why? Because it was a shadow to the substance. The law could only point. It could never give you life. Religious legalism that you're trying to go through, those things are great, but they point to the source. Even, even the Bible, Jesus says to Pharisees, you look in the scriptures for eternal life, but they are those that testify about me. Don't think that because you memorize the scriptures, you have eternal life. These are a shadow even, a shadow to point to Jesus. These are not the end. We don't just read the scriptures just for the end of it. We read it to get to Jesus. And Jesus has come as a true and only source of life with God. Are you messing around with shadows? Are you subscribing to shadows? Are you trying to devote yourself to shadows but never having the substance? You might feel the void and the emptiness, again, not because Jesus is lacking, but because you are trying to find life from something that would only point to purposely to point to life. Trying to find life in something that can never give you that kind of life. And I don't want to engage in a shadow, the law, thinking that I'm going to get something that I need. It's supposed to be a tutor, the law says. Galatians says the law is supposed to bring you to Jesus. Shadows, not the reality. And then lastly, Colossians 2.20, for the rule keeping, Paul says this. Since you have died with Christ and have been set free from the spiritual powers of this world, why then do you keep on following the rules of this world? Why then do you think you're trying to get holiness? Why then are you trying to change your heart through the things that you do or don't do? What is Paul saying? What's the antidote? You've died with Christ. You were buried with him and you rose again. Spiritually, you have a new life. The old you is dead in Jesus. You have to reckon yourself dead. Romans 6.11 says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider, that means like, Treat it as a fact that you are dead to sin. So when sin comes up again and when these rules come up, you don't say, well, welcome, join the party. You say, I'm dead to you. I'm dead to sin. Jesus, my life has died. I have power. If you're thinking, well, I'm just the same old whatever. Yeah, Jesus died, but this doesn't really affect me. You're not operating in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that made you dead to those things. His death, his resurrection is what changed the inside and changed your sinful desire and your flesh, not what you did for him. Paul wants us to see true holiness doesn't come from what we do or don't do, but what Jesus has done on our behalf. True holiness, like you trying to change into becoming a person that looks like Jesus, doesn't, it doesn't happen first and foremost by you trying to observe all these rules. Are they helpful? Yes. But you have to first start with the idea, the reality, that your holiness was first made true as a reality through what Jesus did. Not through you bearing this burden of you having to be holy, you having to separate yourself. Back then, God had made Israel holy. The, whole, the word holy means set apart. They were different other than the nation of the other nations. God had decidedly and decisively made them holy and then say, here's some things to live now that you are holy. Here's some ways to operate. The same thing with the gospel, that God has in Jesus made you holy. 
took your sin. He gave you his righteousness. You are inside holy. Your heart has a new heart. You have a heart that is now not stone, but what? Flesh, soft, able to love God, able to hate sin. You're not a slave to it anymore because of what Jesus has done. Now, when those rules come, you're not saying I'm going to do X, Y, and Z because I need that to change my heart. I'm going to do that because out of the overflow, my heart has been changed, and I want to follow this path. And the Lord blesses you. But holiness doesn't come first and foremost from what you do. It comes from what Jesus has done. That's so important because if you put the pressure on any of these to put it on you and you have to carry the weight of your holiness, then what happens when you cannot follow the rules? What happens when you can't get it together? What happens when you stop reading the Bible? What happens when you start looking at wrong stuff or eating or treating someone wrongly? What happens? Does your holiness just go away? Is it all gone? No, 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 it's not. Functionally, it might be in that moment. You're not looking that holy, but you are still made holy and have the opportunity to change because Christ has done something in you. And you need that to keep going to pursue holiness. To pursue Holiness, the antidote to all these threats to our faith, to supplementing the gospel with something else, is found in no other than the person of Jesus. There's never going to be another message that says something else. There's a thousand ways to say that, but if you're looking and you come to church or come to a book or a podcast hoping for something else other than Jesus to give you what you need, you will not find it. You'll find plenty of offers. But never find something that works. Why? Why is that the case? Why only Jesus? Here's what it means for us. Here's just the, the gospel math that I need you to reckon as reality in your mind as you struggle and wake up every day and have these things pumped against you in your eyes and your ears. And, and man, this stuff's coming towards you. So what? how do I operate in this world where I don't keep supplementing and adding things to Jesus? You need to know this, that when you add something to Jesus, whenever you add something to Jesus, you end up subtracting from who he is. Every time you try to mess around with addition to Jesus, you end up getting subtraction. I hate math. I failed it once. We don't need to go there. Source had a, not fun. But I know that this math works through my experience. Whenever you try to add something to Jesus, you end up subtracting from who he is. And if your life is lived in this category of Jesus plus whatever, Jesus plus this kind of thinking, Jesus plus my church attendance, Jesus plus me not looking at pornography, Jesus plus me reading the Bible every day, Jesus plus me treating my spouse right, Jesus plus me being a good citizen, Jesus plus whatever, you end up getting nothing. Oh, sure, you might look like a great citizen, but the gospel makes claim, exclusive claims that says it's Jesus plus nothing, and then you get everything. Are you willing to let the scandalous gospel land on you to say, I don't have to add anything to Jesus. In fact, everything I need for salvation and life is found in him. The moment I add something, I lose it. 
What a perspective that we can walk into thinking as my life, I work through these things. Even as a pastor, what am I trying to add? Jesus plus a good ministry approach. Jesus plus extra prayer time. Jesus plus whatever it is to try to get these things that happen. No, it is only on Jesus. And the way that we're feeling frustrated maybe is because we're not leaning our weight on Jesus. We're leaning on things that can never produce life. I want you today to take that fearful but also beautiful step of faith to say, I need to stop relying on these extra things and lean your full weight on Jesus. Because when you lean your full weight on Jesus, you experience the full beauty of him. When you lean your full weight on Jesus, some of y'all need to stop messing around and lean fully on Jesus so you can experience him. I want, I want to be a person. I want our church to be people. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about the name. I don't care about the size. I don't care about all the extra things. God can do that. I want us to be people who say we trust and take Jesus at his word fully for who he is. Fully for who he is. And we're going to look foolish, and you are going to look foolish doing this in front of other Christians. That's okay. That's okay because Jesus always comes through, but he comes through to people who rely fully on him. You get more of him when you give yourself up to him. So I just want to end with a question. Simple, but just a reflection as you think through this yourself. Again, not just for the church in Colossae. I want you to really answer this question. And maybe you have to write it down and just take it home. Please do. We're not just preaching so we could just like say we went through a book and preached. We're preaching so that something of God's word would change something in us. What are you supplementing the gospel with? And it might be something other than these things, but just the broader categories. Is it some teaching from the world that you think you have to subscribe to to be happy and joyful and effective and fruitful in your career and life? Is it religious legalism and trying to observe all the things that the church does or that the Christian faith is about? Is it just rule following and thinking you have to be so up on what you do and don't do that's going to make you holier? Wrestle with that with the Lord tonight, this week. What are you supplementing? We are not, we are in no need of completing or enhancing the gospel of Jesus. You have no need to do that. That's silly. Ephesians says this, one of my favorite passages, because it's so scandalous. For by, can you read this? Actually, can you read this with me? Can you stand and read this with me? Let's stand. I want us to be alive and awake. This is a beautiful reality. Let's read this on three. One, two, three. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. What are you trying to substitute in that place? For by grace you have been saved. And it's not your own doing. If it wasn't your own doing to get you in, it's not going to be your own doing to get you through. Colossians says, just as you have received Christ, so live in him. How have you received Christ? Christ Through grace. Then how are you going to grow? Through grace. How have you received Christ? His doing unto you, you receiving the gift. Then how are you going to grow? His doing into you, you trusting the gift. 
How have you received Christ? You trusted that Christ was who he was. Now how are you going to grow? Trusting that Christ is who he is. Just as you received Christ, so live in him. Let me tell you, this kind of lifestyle does not make passive, sinful Christians. When you absorb this into reality, your reality, this makes joyful, selfless risk adverse risk fearing people they don't care about what's going to happen they don't care about what people say they don't care about what it looks like to be a christian or what it looks like to live against this world they're going to be selfless and courageous and joyful why because they are experiencing everything that jesus is for them i want that for us i want that for me would you bow your heads I don't know who's listening, whether in, your, in this room or on the podcast later or Facebook or YouTube, whatever, you might be hearing my voice. I would just ask that you would, you would take these words and really put them up against your own life. Am I trusting Jesus for who he is or am I trying to add something? Just be honest. I, just say it to yourself, to the Lord. I don't trust you, Lord. Maybe you've never trusted him, or maybe you just don't trust him right now. Maybe you've grown up with this distrust because you've distrusted people, and you don't, you don't trust how pastors act, and you don't trust how your, your parents were, you don't trust teachers or your boss, and so you, you take that distrust and you've framed it on and mapped it onto Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus is not like that. He's kind, he's powerful, he's gracious, he is God. And so, Lord, this morning, we just say, fill us afresh with raw, simple trust in who you are. To the point where it seems like maybe we're not doing it right because it seems too scandalous. Really? My full weight on you, Lord? Yes, God, that's what you call us to do, Lord. Full weight. Not adding anything to you. Because when you were on the cross, you didn't say, it's almost done. You said it was finished. You didn't say, well, wait a couple years. You didn't say, hey, it's almost done, but you got to finish it. You said, it is finished. So, Lord, we receive those words, it's finished. And out of there, we strive. Out of there, we work. Out of there, we obey. We don't obey to get it finished. We obey because it was finished. We don't read because we want it to be finished. We read the Bible because it has been finished. We don't go to church because we want things to be finished. We go to church because it has been finished. So, Lord, help us to let that that word, that truth hang over our lives. It is finished. And you would say to every single person here, rest, my son, my daughter, daughter, it is finished. It is done. Salvation is complete. Now you get to live joyfully out of there. Is it hard work? Yes, but the burden is not on you. It is on Christ and his spirit in you. How freeing, how restful, how joyful that is. Lord, renew our faith. If we haven't put faith in you, God, help us in this day, in this moment, and right now to say, I believe you, Jesus, for who you are. You are the son of God. You are the one that has finished it. You are the place where everything I need is found because everything else has kept me wanting. We trust you, Lord. We praise you for your sufficiency.
for the scandalous grace of the gospel. We worship you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's respond.